And I realized that all three people are working on the kidney and the human body from three different disciplines. And none of them knew what the other one was doing. That's when I realized that all the education about what we know about the body is based upon the discipline, not on the person they're working on. We are here with Gary Lineham. I'm going to read your bio here in a second, Gary. But um, My bio. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the proper introduction, but I just wanted to welcome you here to the Gravity Podcast, to Gravity, to Columbus. This has been a uh, long time in the making from the moment Absolutely. I first walked into Human Garage and I think maybe two locations ago. Yeah, two locations. Uh, we <laughs> we uh, had a connection, and I knew someday this would would come. Um, and it's a joy to have you here. So it's funny. I've, I was always attracted to your your mission and your uh, what you were trying to accomplish, and and that's because this is the way I think we need to live. And uh, we haven't been doing it right. So I'm really really excited about being here. Yeah, awesome. Okay, let's do this first for our listeners. Gary is the co-founder of Human Garage, a lifelong biohacker who believes that the human body was designed to heal itself. He started the Human Garage as a vehicle to give people the correct input to start that healing. Gary himself lived in chronic pain for over 20 years. During that time, he became increasingly frustrated with the countless treatments modalities that only addressed his symptoms. He realized the root of the problem wasn't being solved and set out to do just that. Human Garage is based on the principles that optimal health is achieved through complete alignment, restoring the natural functions of the body to enjoy pain-free, full range of motion. Gary is proud of the fact that the medical doctors and therapists from around the world are now coming to Venice, California to learn the Human Garage way of repairing and rebalancing the human body. In this episode along with a whole lot of other things, Gary's going to talk about why stretching doesn't work and the issue isn't the issue, how the body is all connected as one, how the human garage began and what sets it all apart from other places. And I'm going to start by really uh, getting Gary to share with you his journey uh, into all of that. But I can just say we just had a minute to do a, a quick treatment. Yeah. And I feel substantially better. You look better. It's amazing. Your eyes are really bright now. You know, it's 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 fascinating work. And, and by the way, that only took about two and a half minutes. Yeah, it, right. I mean, it's it's really brilliant. And you know, I, I will tell you that um, I have found your iterative process to be inspiring. Every Thank time you. I'm with you, you're quick to kind of share with me how it's changing and it's what you're changing. learning. Yeah. And you know, gosh, what we just did was much different um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, it feels familiar, but it's 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 unique. And in just a couple of minutes, it's remarkable uh, what kind of impact you're able to do with your work. So, you know, really cool. it's funny because, because uh, you know, when people hear this, they're going to think that I'm some sort of magical worker, but I can show you to do all of this in a day or less. And that's really the important part. I, I spent my, my entire lifetime in pain trying to figure out the solution to my body pain, my issues, my musculoskeletal pain. It came from a, a series of injuries. One was a bodybuilding injury when I was in uh, uh, just in my late teens. And, and I, just before I went prof- professional as a bodybuilder, I fell under a 600-pound squat. And for the rest of my life, I have been in some form of sc- therapy trying to repair it. Now, you know, normal things that go along, normal accidents and injuries and a couple car accidents. But then... A progression of concussions. I had eight diagnosed concussions, of which one I woke up in a pool of blood about four times the size of my body. And each and every one of those experiences <clears throat> was was leading me to something else. And at, at first, the first part of my life was really leading me into more and more dysfunction. And it seemed like it was getting worse and worse and worse. And it was actually. I went from, you know, just mildly seeing somebody in my 20s, you know, twice a week, like chiropractor, uh, massage therapist, to you know, in my in my late thirties, uh, basically three appointments a day, different modalities, trying to keep myself out of pain. It's ironic what we'll do, what I would do, anyways, to keep myself out of pain. And when I found something that worked, I'd I'd latch onto it, and then I would I try to understand it and figure it out. Because if I understood why it worked, I could probably understand what my problem was. And then I realized that, that they would only work for a moment in time. And that was something that really bothered me. 
Like, why is it that I have a therapy that only works for, you know, three weeks or four weeks and then I have to move to something else? And I had, and I've done every therapy on the, on the planet earth, I swear. And so looking at, at, at that from a, from a history point of view, I was getting worse and it wasn't, and I was getting more and more frustrated. And then finally uh, it, it came to a head. I was um, in May 10th, 2010. I opened up a computer and I could no, long, no longer remember how to use a web browser. And it, was, it scared the living daylights of me because I just thought I, I'd lost my mind. And the shock of it threw me on the floor. I, I cried for eight hours. I was just scared. I was terrified. It was like facing my own death, I guess, in, in a way. And that was, now looking back, that was the death of the old me. From, I woke up the next morning and said, either I fix this or I check out. And I was pretty serious about that because the pain had been a seven, eight, or nine pain and it had been riding up on about a decade. And there was nothing I could do to get rid of it. Now I sedated it. I, I, I didn't want to use prescriptions because I knew, I just watched people around me with prescriptions, you never come back. So I chose everything else. I mean, I did everything to sedate, all kinds of drugs, all kinds of alcohol, anything to take me out of that state of pain, to give me a difference, give me a moment. And what was interesting is in those moments of times in which I was checking out by using a substance or something, it gave me that moment of space for me to think. Now, I'm not saying people should go use substances, but for me, I, I, my biggest substance abuse was adrenaline, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, pain. So I was addicted to pain at that point, and I was trying to get off of pain. It's like a heroin addict trying to get off of heroin. And you don't realize it because when you're in it, you just, you're focused on it. You can't see the world around you. And I started building these uh, multi-practitioner disciplines. So I go from practitioner to practitioner. And, and I built my own program because I found things that worked. But my whole life became therapy. And I said, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And my businesses started to change. And I couldn't, I couldn't travel anymore the way I did. And, and, and I, had to re- I had to really focus on how I was going to live the rest of my life. And that's when we decided to start Human Garage because I had built all these practitioners. I had to go to them. It took all my day, week, and month. So I figured, what if I just bring them to me? And how do I bring them to me? Well, build a business. And since I'm an entrepreneur and I've been in multiple businesses all my life, for me, it was just one more business. And I got into the healthcare industry thinking, oh, this is going to be like everything else I've ever done. Uh-uh. <laughs> it was very yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. Let me just um, pause you there because there's a lot there. I mean... Um, fascinating journey. And and in most cases, and I believe, you know, all of those things tend to happen to us for a reason so that you can be where you are now doing the work that you're doing. Um, But if if I can kind of take you back pre-bodybuilding, pre-pain, tell me a little bit about kind of you know, your earlier memories, your, your, your childhood kind of, maybe, maybe where some of the sparks, flashes of insight that now you can see the connective dots that even led you to getting into the bodybuilding to begin with. Interesting. Yeah, because, uh, you know, growing up, uh, memories, memories are kind of like really vague in different areas. Uh, had a complex situation. My mother came from the United States, moved to Canada. I had... Um, uh, she gave birth to me. I was conceived in the United States in Texas, and which I spent five hours in yesterday at an airport. <laughs> yeah, things never change there. Yeah, and uh, and then then I was I was birthed in Canada. During that time, uh, there was a lot. As I was growing up, there was there was I was a very active, uh, always trying to learn, always trying to figure stuff out uh, to the point where I drove everybody insane. And there was always like something I wanted to do. There was something that was driving me since I was a little kid. I was, my mom used to say I was possessed uh, in a good way. Back, we were talking, this is 50 years ago. I mean, you know those kid leashes you have today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, 50 years ago, my mom had a kid leash on me. <laughs> I was the only kid with a kid leash. <laughs> Just to put things in perspective. I got it, yeah. 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 So, so that energy is always, is always pervaded through my life. But interesting thing enough is that I was always interested in the body. I was always interested in, in sports and mechanics. And I kind of went through that path. And bodybuilding seemed the most logical to me because I loved the company of people, but I was emotionally sensitive and I didn't know it at the time. And I would feel everything that they felt in their bodies, but I didn't know that that's what it was. So I would go crazy in groups of people. Mm-hmm. So I tended to gravitate toward things that were loner sports, like skiing, scuba diving, bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And there's a pattern there. Um, but interestingly enough, as I started to develop and walk through that, I, I went into business, uh, entrepreneurial family. And, you know, by the time I was 20, I'd made my first million in the retail business. And 
And I, I, I carried through that, that process because I thought that's the trajectory I needed to go. And so for the next 20 years, I was involved in tech and uh, in development, a lot of wireless and telecom tech, tech projects and stuff like that. But I was managing my dysfunction as I was going along. So my hobby mm-hmm. was healthcare, understanding the human condition. And then my job was technology. Mm-hmm. But what was funny is I started applying the same technology principles that we use to develop and grow and change to healthcare. Mm-hmm. So but let me just... So when you say you were managing your dysfunction, um, tell me more about what that means. Uh, well, at that time, it's like back pain, neck pain, need a massage. You know, I was... Uh, they used to call me Twitch because mm-hmm. I couldn't sit still because I'm always like trying to adjust myself. Mm-hmm. For those of you out there who do that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's right. Because you're never comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And I was never comfortable being anywhere. I always wanted to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So would, now in that childhood experience, and you know, it sounds like there's, there's some value around um, being an entrepreneur, being in business, being mm-hmm. success. Is, is that true? Your, your parents kind of had those values that you started to absorb and attach to and yeah yeah, yeah. entrepreneurs mm-hmm. my whole family's entrepreneurs mm-hmm. so and the way i define an entrepreneur is just somebody who's willing to go out and do something that somebody else isn't you know because businesses are just just basically there's a need there's a way to fill a need neither you do it better faster more panette panache cheaper or something but there's some reason why you can do it and that's what makes a business mm-hmm. and so i just started finding holes in things mm-hmm. as you know as an entrepreneur you find a hole in things. If you can do it better, that's a business. And uh, I started finding holes in healthcare mm-hmm. in the way that I addressed it, the way I looked at it. And I just started applying those principles that we used in business, which is open source and technology. And I said, well, the whole healthcare system is kind of like Apple and Microsoft. There's no open source anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the crazy part is that there's open source is what drove the whole technology revolution. It's because people would collaborate and... In healthcare, it's like I got my way of doing it and I'm not telling you my way of doing it. And everybody keeps everything for themselves. Again, I'm not from the healthcare industry. I, I, I'm, I'm a defensive healthcare practitioner. What I mean by defensive is I had to do it because it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. I had to take matters in my own hands. Yeah. So, so and, and just kind of sticking with this childhood piece for a bit, because I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've got this thing that's starting to form around being an entrepreneur and you're solving problems. Any other kind of attachments or messaging or programming that you're picking up, you know, from those early days? And the reason I ask is because I often believe, I, I believe that we, we kind of arrive here pure and whole and complete, and then life starts to happen. So these attachments often that, that comes from a, a childhood experience, it might be an experience related to your family, good or bad, capital T trauma or little t trauma. I'm curious if there's anything in there that is worth kind of sharing with the listeners that you later on see, like the messaging around being an entrepreneur, that that ends up really being important in this sure. kind of early part of the journey. Yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you know some of it. Um, interestingly enough, let's actually define trauma before we start that. Sure. So trauma is is simply the holding of information because mm-hmm. we're meant to to have things come through us. Like in the animal kingdom, a cheetah chases a gazelle. Uh, it's traumatized. At the end of the chase, if a gazelle lives and gets away, it shakes for three minutes and then pees out the fear through the urine. Also coalesces with Chinese medicine, bladder being fear. So we tend to hold on to things. And because we hold on to things, we're in trauma, we name it, we, we tell stories about it, we make movies about it so we can keep reminding ourselves about the trauma. And that's part of the problem. Um, so, you know, going all the way back to traumatic experiences, it's the holding on to things or, and we hold on to things generally that we don't understand. If I don't understand it, the job of the brain is to narrate the experiences of the body. So if I don't understand something, the brain just keeps going at it over and over and over again. It won't stop for the rest of my life. It'll be a, a problem it's trying to solve because that's what your brain's supposed to do. It's supposed to solve problems that narrate experiences, solve problems so you can adapt to the world. So. It was interesting enough because my mother decided to tell me my birth trauma uh, three weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm like, mom, after 50 years, you decide to tell me now? Hmm. <laughs> it was funny because it's just so prophetic to how it came up. But, but I'm in the healthcare industry, definitely cutting some, some norms, fighting against an institution or have been, which I'm stopping now and I'll tell you why. <laughs> 
uh, fighting against the institution, the thought, uh, the complicity of, of healthcare and medicine, the religious beliefs of how we think the body is. Like, he- like healthcare and religion are just basically the same thing. Because it's just a belief structure imposed upon you that you have to live within. It's just the healthcare is more effective than religion because they actually fear imminent death. Religion is just like maybe what happens after you die. That's kind of the thought. But healthcare is you're going to die if you don't follow this. So it has a stronger weighting on, on, on the way we make decisions. Interestingly enough, so what was happening was uh, during that time, 50 years ago in Canada, they were administering drugs to, to the women to have birth, like an epidural and whatever. And my mom was holistic right from the start, didn't want any drugs, anything like that. And they would give some sort of drug pack or ingest, injections to the kids at birth. And she got the doctor, she found a doctor agreed not to. And the doctor agreed uh, not to for her and, it, she, and we had the birth. And then we're sitting in the delivery room and um, I'm over in the, uh, what do you call it? Cradle thing? Where they put the babies? Right. Can't remember the name right now. So <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm over there. Uh, the doctor goes to administer drugs. My mom says, wait, wait a second. You got to stop. And we agreed that we're, that wasn't going to happen. The doctor says, no, no, we need to do this. And uh, she says, no, no, we agreed no drugs for my son. No, no, we have to do this. And she says, no, no, give me my son. He stood between me and her and says, you're not touching that baby. You're staying away from that baby. You're not fit to touch that baby. I was a baby. I, I didn't understand the words, mm-hmm. but we don't understand words as babies. We understand feelings. Mm-hmm. So I knew exactly what was going on. And now it, it explained completely. I spent the last 10 years of my life, 24 hours a day, literally, even when I sleep, thinking about how to make things better for people in their bodies. Mm-hmm. I spent the last 30 years actively investigating it from my, from my primary injury. And, and I, I even step back as an entrepreneur and say, it's almost narcissistic like, to spend that much of my life doing it. But I was seeking something, an understanding of the body, which we came to just recently, which is why we're here today. Yeah. And that understanding of the body, you know, I have doctors as friends all over the world. And, and I literally despise the institution of medicine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now I know why. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, in that journey, and it's fascinating, you know, especially because you live your whole life not really having that connected dot, mm-hmm. not missing part of the story. Right. Right. But you're running, 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 solving, mm-hmm. solving, experiencing. And, you know, n- now get the clarity that, you know, it, it all comes back, at least in part, to that beginning, that experience, which, of course, you'd never know, you know, unless your mother tells you. And why would she tell you? Because she might not even understand the significance of that event until uh, much later. Obviously, she didn't. Yeah. I mean, she's a really, really, really intelligent lady, but right. something kept her from telling me that for 50 years. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, my belief is that, you know, those things all come at the right time. Exactly. Because if she told me 10 years ago, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And she, for whatever reason, you know, we can maybe get into the woo-woo part of that, right? But like, you know, it, it didn't come out of her. It, it wasn't ready to come out of her. It was ready to come out of her when it was ready to land with you. You you had to go through all of that so that when it came out, you were ready to receive it and connect those dots and go. And so, you know, that's where you are now. You're mm-hmm. going and and, you know, I've seen it and experienced it and going to get a lot more tomorrow, which I'm excited about. Tomorrow is your full life reset. I am. Uh, it's an amazing experience. Ecstatic. I can't wait to, to do this with you. So yet challenging, right? This, this has been a challenging, challenging journey. Right to the last minute. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll probably continue to be in new ways, but the, let's talk about the medical system that, you know, has been, if, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the biggest challenge, one of them at least. You know, let's just call a spade a spade, okay? I'm not going to beat up too much because I've done that a lot in other podcasts and, you know, and, and, I, and really trying to walk away from beating up things. But there's, there, is, there is some truth to it, okay? So we're, we have, um, we're in America, we spend $3 trillion, $10,000 per man, woman, and child. We're 48th in healthcare. We're below even underdeveloped nations. The only reason I know we're 48th is because it's a U.S. publication that published it. And it usually published the top 10 or top 20, but we had to go to 48 this year to get us in. The difference between uh, and, and effectiveness gap between 47th and 48th place where we sit 
is larger than the difference between 1 and 47. So what are we doing wrong? And here's the crazy part is you ask anybody in America, they may complain about the healthcare system, but you ask about our doctors and our science, well, we get the best in the world. Okay, so then let's ask some questions. Why are we so sick? We have two-thirds of all of people, all of our clients have autoimmune disease. We have 85% of our clients now chronically dehydrated with anxiety, blood pressure, ADHD. We have more orthopedic surgeries. We, every, everything from mechanics to sports to health in every way is getting worse, but we have this perception that we're doing good. So how is that possible? You know, and science is driving us more and more micro into all, like we know right down at the cellular level what's happening, but we can't get somebody to digest properly. I mean, this is bizarre. So I have spent 30 years acquiring knowledge on how to help people. And as you've experienced in what became the human garage, we became the best in the world at doing it. I mean, we have, we have over 10,000 clients, done over 200,000 treatments in seven years. We have people come from all over the world, professional athletes, celebrities, people with chronic diseases of all kinds. And we were just, uh, seven years ago, we were just fixing backs and necks. So how did we get to that point? And in two things. Number one is people come to what works eventually because we had no advertising. We didn't do any media, no website, anything for five years. So all, the only thing you see on us media-wise basically the last two years, two and a half years. So, so the, the real issue is well, how, how did people... How did people get there? Why did they come? They were coming because each and every time they left feeling better. But it still wasn't the final answer. We were looking for a bigger solution. The healthcare industry itself, it has all these disciplines. And where I started to see some of the problems was, so we had the, uh, the largest um, that I, I believe anyways, and I could be, could be wrong. So the largest complete multidiscipline practice in the world, uh, certainly in the United States, because we had every form of care there from spiritual all the way to rabbi who was a psychic, all the way down to uh, internal medicine doctors, to chiropractors, craniopathists, acupuncture, acupressure, reflexologists, naturopathic doctors, all in one spot. What was interesting is I got to see them in their, in their element. And I noticed things that they did and didn't do, and I'm a pattern guy. So I'm, I just freakishly started to notice these patterns. And it really had to hit me one day, we're working on a client, and a craniopathist, an acupuncturist, and a reflexologist, all working on that same client at the same time. And we're all working on kidney, but they're all doing something different. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second here. Do you know what they're doing? No. Do you know what they're doing? No. Do you know what they're doing? No. And I realized that all three people are working on the kidney and the human body from three different disciplines. And none of them knew what the other one was doing. And I, that's when I realized that all the education about what we know about the body is based upon the discipline, not on the person they're working on. Because if I'm going to learn about you, I'm going to learn everything about how your kidney, everything your kidney does in your body, that's how I'm going to learn it. But we learned the education in pieces and we made it about the prestige of the education rather than actually the, the person that's laying there on the table. And that's part of the problem with healthcare. And I mean, we could go on and yeah. on about everything and everybody kind of has their own stories. Well, and I guess, you know, maybe underneath that and just kind of playing armchair psychologist for a second you know what you're a good armchair psychologist well, and this is this is not so much about you but more about the system you know why is that why is the system so bifurcated why is it um it, you know is it is it symptomatic of the human experience the ego uh you know, the, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think the human experience and the ego are all normal. We, we say we don't want ego. We need ego, but we also need ego to be in balance with our emotional and spiritual side. Education is funny, and especially when it comes into healthcare. Uh, healthcare is religious. I said that earlier. It's about beliefs. So let me say: here's where we go wrong. One third of all medical procedures in the world, uh, surgeries, cancer surgeries, brain surgeries all kinds of procedures, one third of them, the single most illustrating element of their success was attributed to the placebo effect. It's been studied all over the world. What they don't tell you is one third of the deaths or the failures are also contributed to the nocebo or the negative thought of something happening. So we have scientific evidence that validates that two thirds of everything that happens to you in, in your healthcare situation is how you feel about it. Scientifically validated all over the world, just not looking at those numbers. I'm going to question the other one third here right now, but 
even if it is two thirds, then how come that's not a part of our discussion? And if it is a belief or negative or not, the first thing we do is we sit down in front of a doctor and this is why we stopped the consultation process as soon as I understood this. Because when I, you sit down in front of me and I say, yes, you have cancer. Dun, dun, dun. You think about what that does. Now, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an authority. I have a white coat or I don't, but I'm authority. I've recognized you're coming there and I'm telling you have something. What are the chances you believe that you don't? And if belief is so important, so that's the first thing is that we label people and label things. And the other thing too is we shame people for natural occurrences of the body. You have cancer. You have herpes. And we shame them for these things. It's like, so if you have herpes or you have cancer or you have fibromyalgia or you have something like that or you have, why are we embarrassed about it? It's like with, with all grace, it's like, hey, let me help you. It's about we want to HIPAA compliance. It's like quiet over here in the corner. He has cancer. Quiet. And we do those things. And, and so we are programming people in the wrong way. I could go way off the deep end and I don't know if I want to go quite that far today, but I could tell you this is all about social programming. And right now, and if you go back in history, uh, doctor meant educator. We stopped being educators and we started being dictators. And we dictate to our response. Don't tell me how it is. I know better than you. And, you know, you find a lot of the older doctors you'd go to, I'd go to, would, you start bringing information. They're like, no, no, that's not the way it is. You're challenging their authority. And the funny thing is, as I started working, you know, I'm working with all these medical professionals and they're coming in. I had no ego attached to it because I didn't, I didn't pin myself as a doctor. I didn't label myself as a doctor or a therapist. I have no label other than, other than master motion mechanic, which is just something we described that we had to describe something. So, so the, without the label, I don't have the ego that's attached to that label. So when, when someone would come up and say, hey, that's actually like over here, that, you're working with a meridian and that, um, oh, really? Oh, okay, good. But if I say that to a professional, hey, that's a, no, that's something else. And they, so a lot of it is how we position ourselves. And the, and the, 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 the doctors were the most powerful people in, in every culture. Think about this. Brett, how old are you now? I'm 44. 44. Okay, so you're old enough to just remember this. It's like doctors on a plane, we automatically upgraded first class. <laughs> right. They get, they're, they're a restaurant, everybody they go to the front of the line. Right. It's not that way anymore. Right. But there, there was a lot of power and prestige that was held in that position. And you just don't see it that way anymore. And, I, and it's just, and it's not, and this isn't just medicine. It could get any scope of, uh, uh, this is Christianity, it's, uh, or with religion, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was getting at in this, you know, human experience piece. It's just kind of reflective of um, a lot of things that, you know, people um, kind of get off track with or adopt or have certain programming. Well, we want to make ourselves important. Yeah. Yeah. So we make things difficult. Yeah. But what, what if, you know, like I told you today, by the time I leave here, you will know how to basically do what I'm doing. And that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the best thing. But the, the challenge is the people who went and spent 10 years learning things and, and it, right or wrong and 10 years practicing afterwards, they don't want it to be that simple. Yeah, there's a, there's a scarcity mentality. There's something about that importance that feels like they're uh, identifying with. It becomes who they are. And if they give that away and everybody has it, then how will they be important? How will they be powerful? How will they maybe make a living? There's a, you know, the scarcity as opposed to the approach you're taking, which is really that, you know, and and I've said this to our team before, the fact that everybody is talking about conscious communities or how um, philanthropy and wellness should find their way into the workplace is a beautiful thing. It's okay that we were doing that a long time ago and now it's become a trend. That's a good trend. I'm not worried about coming up with new ideas. I'm not worried about being able to uh, make a living and find ongoing ways to be unique. And you know, I, I think that's true about you. You want more people to feel better, to be in alignment. 100%. To, and, and however you can give that away, to make that happen is what you're committed to. Well, when we discovered the simplicity of the process of how the fascia worked and the body worked, we could reproduce or we could do better in 90 minutes than we used to do in 12 weeks. And because we were having an understanding. Let's this, this, this just say this way. The, we're acquiring knowledge about how to live in this world. 
But in every aspect, it's just not working. I mean, we're like wars, sickness, gun shootings. It's just at the total. It's not happening. Then we have this other move of consciousness. And by the way, if you have to say you're conscious, you're not conscious. Just a little one for all. Because I, mean, I live in California. So, I mean, <laughs> it's like, we're all conscious. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. Um, so, Sometimes, by the way, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse. There's... Uh, you know, a juice bar on every corner and access to all kinds of good, healthy food and lots of people talking about being conscious. Now, um, you know, that comes with its own thing. Yeah. And here in Columbus, it's been a little bit harder to Well, have you guys those. are doing good here. You, we're, we're, you guys are doing good here. Right? I yeah, mean, we you, are. you guys are way more progressive than the rest of Ohio, the rest of the Midwest. Yeah. I'm seeing organic places. I've been I'm actually talking to some people since I've been here. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 you're There's doing a demand something. for it. The, yeah. the, the, People want it. And so, you know, that's part of what we're trying to bring to the city. Well, you know, and this is what I love about you so much. Because when I first met you, I mean, you're a developer. Now, I have a lot of developers uh, very much like you in my past, ironically. Like like spitting image of Mm -hmm. lifestyle in the market that they're in, the size that they are, representing the market. I can, uh, earth movers up in Canada stuff like that. But you have taken a step further. Theirs was about the prestige of the development or the, the building and how it looked and that. And you're actually going to the lifestyle and how I actually really want people to live. And they would put a, a lifestyle option just to make the building look better. You're putting a lifestyle option because you want people to be better. So that's the difference between having knowledge, thinking and trying to make that what we were talking about earlier, and having understanding. Because all the knowledge in the world is not going to get us to an understanding. And that's what I was saying. I think I, think, uh, I was going down this path earlier, but I, I acquired all this knowledge on how to fix people. And it was replaced. All of it became useless when I understood what your body was telling me, asking me. Mm-hmm. And it, it literally, overnight, all, of the, all the problems that I've ever come up against in 30 years disappeared in one moment. Yeah. It, it, so now that you're here and you've really uncovered uh, and used all of that experience to to put together, and I don't even know what to call it, if it's a product, if it's a... But, but t- why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more in detail, just at a high level, what it is you're doing. I'm, I'm not sure if so, people can really understand it until they experience it, but try. Yeah, I, th- I think first and foremost to say, so we had a very large clinic to help people get through their dysfunction, their pain, whatever. First of all, when people are trying to fix chronic pain, it's not going to get it's not going to get fixed. By the way, if your thing is to fix your pain, it's never going to happen. I'm telling you that right now. After after seeing ten thousand people in the last seven years, I know the defining moment is the way somebody describes their situation tells me whether they're going to get better or not. If they need to get fixed so they can go out and do it, do more of it, then it's not going to work. If they're if they want to do something and their body's in the way, that doesn't matter what I do, it's going to work. Key point. So. So a lot of it is, is trying, to, trying to decide, uh, you know, what I'm actually doing. Am I actually fixing something? Am I, am I trying to understand it? Specifically, as much as you can, kind of share with the listener what you're doing. You know, oh, you, you've right. uncovered Sorry. this yeah. knowledge. And, and what's the application of that look like, you know, as much as you can possibly explain that to somebody without having Fantastic. the... Having the uh, yeah. So we built this practice to help all these people, had all these disciplines in there, but it came so complex that even the people in my own practice weren't able to complete the work because it required uh, the understanding of all the other practices and the conducting of these experiences like acupuncture, acupressure, reflexology, fascial work, neurological work, chiropractic, all. And somebody had to coordinate all that in, a, in the same session because it was all happening at once. And it was really, really complex and it was, it was not duplicatable. And we've been trying to duplicate this for the last seven years. And we got up to the point where 55 employees, 3,000 appointments a month. But we just, every time we bump up against that ceiling, it starts to fail. Something starts to break. So that's a threshold we couldn't get over. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the business of healthcare doesn't really work. And that's, that's the bigger reason. So when we started to uh, discover, the, when we discovered the, the truth about how the body works in the fascia, we decided there was nothing else to do. We were shutting down our practice. Uh, actually, we shut it down last week. So we're not seeing people individually ever again. I do not believe that going uh, individual by treatment by treatment works because doing therapy is like rolling a ball up a hill. And if you roll it, you got to roll it far enough so it doesn't roll back over you. 
And but there, but I kept saying there has to be a point at which you get to the top of the hill and it doesn't never rolls back down. We found that point, and that point is something simple. So the, the key point was this is always to get people to help themselves. But when I say to people, like, um, okay, I want you to do this 10 minutes a day, and it will literally get you out of your disease process. And they won't do it. Now, the same person, uh, I show them how to do the fascial work on their face, same, same work, and says, well, it'll make your face look plumper, better. It's like a facelift. Oh, they'll do it three times a day. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. I'm serious. 95% non compliance in healthcare, 100% compliance in aesthetics and beauty and vanity. So we decided to take our, the fascial work that we had that was making people look younger and better and stuff like that and find ways that they could do it themselves. Why? Because while they're making themselves look more beautiful, they're actually reducing the stress in their body and they're actually getting healthier. And that was the really key because people would come into a, like a, to like a treatment center and they're there for about 2 to 3% of their whole weeks in hours. But 97% of their week, they're somewhere else. And if I can be 100% effective at my at 3%, the 3% that I'm affecting, but you just have to be mildly ineffective in your 97% to, dis, to off, off regulate it. So it's really about the community and lifestyle. And this is why what you're doing is great because you're building communities around an idea or concept or an eye style of being better. This is, so we've designed programs that basically allow you to do everything that you need to do to your body. And literally, no matter what your problem is, to get yourself out of your body. It's fundamentally easy and basic. And what it does is it allows the body to get itself into feeling good. Now, it doesn't mean we don't go to practitioners. It doesn't mean we don't have practitioners. But the God-given right to make your body feel good, help your body understand and feel good, that's something you should know. And that's something that has been taken out of our education system for thousands of years. And we, we, we discovered the answer. And, that's, and when we discovered the answer, I realized fundamentally this was such a fundamental shift in, in the way that we see the human body that I could no longer own it. Mm-hmm. So we're taking all that intellectual property on how to take care of yourself. And we're going to put it online for free for everybody. And yes, every doctor, every practitioner uh, that wants to use it, they can use it and uh, uh, pay a small fee for licensing it to use it in their own. If you're an individual and you use it for yourself, it will be free. So it lives in perpetuity. Um, I'm not going to own it. It's just truth and information. And that same truth and information is what I'm going to use for you tomorrow. Now, I can take something like, like if you, uh, let's say, take Linux server. I don't have to buy a Microsoft or Linux Exchange server. I can, I can go buy it, the hardware, put it together, buy Linux and put it on there and program it all in myself. Or I can buy it completed. And that's the real difference. But I want the ability for people to understand the components and how they work. That's what we're going to give to the world for free. Now, I'm also going to use that same information to build a program. And what we've done is been able to get people to a point in a single day where where their body and their emotional state never rolls back over them. And that's a cool part. Amazing. Yeah, you answered my question, uh, which was really going to be where are you going with it? But um, when I heard you mention, and you told me this before, that you were going to shut down the practice, you know, the, the courage... I mean, you had a thriving practice. I've been Very there. Much. It was beautiful. It was dreamy in Venice. It I was mean, pretty cool, wasn't it? it? <laughs> oh, amazing. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm walking in there thinking, you know, y- you got it. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. Beautiful people doing amazing work. And the courage uh, to pivot like you are. Uh, and, and now to be talking about giving it away, you know, to the point that, you know, there might not be work for you to do. Oh, uh, that would be my dream. There's, a, there's enough work in the world for me to do. Right, but, right. But the, but the truth is, is when people come to the truth of how their body really works and they understand it and they start working with their bodies, they're going to want to be around people who are in that same frequency. This is where your community starts to come in. You know, think about a community that, that just had, you know, shared some of the same values. They don't have to be completely different, but we divide people ethnically by, by uh, we divide them by social economics, by how they work and that. But what if they were just divided by how conscious they were? And wouldn't that be cool? Because, you know, the, you, know you can go to these conscious places and these healthy places, but the reality is most of the people in there aren't. And, and we feel the emotions of people way more than we feel <laughs> the food that we're eating. You know, food is just a, is just a stimulation to the body. 
good or bad. If it's bad food, I'm going to have bad stimulation. I'm going to think differently. But, but you walk in a room and someone's angry, you can feel it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that when people are unconscious, when you walk in a room, everybody's unconscious, you can feel it. Let's talk about consciousness. It's interesting. So how conscious do we think we really are? You know, 95% of all of our actions on a daily basis are subconscious. I mean, even picking up a glass of water. We don't think about the steps. Like I have to lift my arm, move it over. I don't want to grab too hard. I lift it up. The muscles attach, put it to the, glass, to the mouth. These are all things that take a lot of effort to do. But we just do them or, or we're driving home and it's like the last four miles. It's like, oh, did I even drive that? Can we admit that when you're driving a car at a high speed, and you go four or five turns without even realizing you did it, that you're not in control or not in the driver's seat? Well, that's just, that's a representation of life. We're not in control and we're not in the driver's seat. We think we are, and that's part of the problem. So it's really about getting people in a situation where they can understand their level of consciousness. And as you become more conscious, you know what you're going to see around you? It's interesting. You're going to see people almost like bumbling into each other, like, bumping into each other, making mistakes. You're going to watch the errors in the world that you live in happen in real time. Because, you know, if you think about it, we, we actually, a human being is just simply a collection of experiences to date, expressing himself. That's all we are. So everything that we do is, a, is related to an, to an experience that we reference from an origin point. Um, so like my, my feelings of love, if I was cherished in my, with my parents and loving relationship, but you were abused, even the word love would mean something completely different to us because the origin of that, of that emotion. And so, what it, so the idea is, is that we found a way for people to get to a point where an inflection point where we get to reset the emotion. We get to reset the way they see the world. And then that changes the way that they start to move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's really, I think, reflective of the experience we're having right now. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm having this kind of surreal moment where I'm, you know, here with you in Columbus having this dialogue, wow. yeah. right? You know, and I walked into your uh, studio to get help. A friend refers me, you know, this is, this, this is all unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even knowing that I'm being intentional about what I'm trying to do, that there's um, growth work that I'm doing in California, that there's modalities out there that I didn't have access to, that I wanted to explore, that I, I knew would be beneficial for me, but, but not really knowing that I, I'm going to have this connection with you, that you're going to eventually come here, that whatever is going to come from that will come from that. You know, that does start to kind of really get you tied into we're really not doing this. We're not in well, as I, much control as well, we think. Well, let's just say that I knew it. <laughs> well, you were you were probably more awake than I was at the time um, and maybe still to this day, but but I believe you. And I know we're going to talk more about that tomorrow, um, yeah. but, but uh, I feel very much grounded in what you're describing that, you know, this, this experience is happening. And as you wake up and as you start to notice it and start to be able to be in it more and more in the beauty of it, in the flow of it, it, it's really a remarkable thing. So I I, want to ask you a few more questions. I think you're, you're kind of touching on it, but why do you believe you are here on this planet? You know, tell me, tell me, in this lifetime, you know, what, what is it specifically That's when it's all said and done that, that you feel like you, you are here to do? Well, I have a, I have a really, really good friend, a uh, longtime friend, Chris Witeke. He's an astrologer. We actually partner with this platform that teaches people how to integrate with their, the, how astrology works with them on a daily basis because it's affecting them throughout the day, sending them messages. I'd never let him read me. For some reason, bizarre reason, I don't know why. And, and then one day he finally decided to do a reading on me and I'm a 29 degree Sag, Sagittarius. Well, a 29 degree Sagittarius really only has one purpose on the planet Earth and that's to change the world. And then it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and so that comes back to actually who I really am. Uh, a lot of who I am. Uh, um, so when I, when I ask people what their astrology is right now, I already know what body parts are suffering, what to do. I even know what, what words to use. It's the most accurate form of understanding who people are. We just, we've looked at things in such a different way. So my job specifically 
is to understand the human condition and explain it to you. And I have literally put my body, uh, even before I was willing to, uh, consciously willing to, into distress in many situations. I experience everything through my body. So when things happen and uh, emotionally experience them, when things happen to other people, I experience them. And at first I was all disrupted because my body was like, just like a pinball machine everywhere until I realized that I'm just doing that to understand. It's my, it's my way of understanding you. I feel you. And now I'm okay. Now that I can, I know that that's the case. I can, I can feel a bit more. And, and each and every person has the ability to do this. And what's stopping them from feeling this way and from being connected the way that they want to is distraction. And what distraction is in the human body, it's, it's simply restriction. And what is restriction? It's the forces that we have to use or fight against to move through this world. There's a certain amount of restriction we have to stand and walk. We, we can't just stand and walk as a baby. We have to learn through emotion. I desire to stand up. And I fear falling down. Through the desire and the fear of the duality emotions, we learn to restrict ourselves just enough to be in this world. But as we get older, we get more and more and more restrictions. It doesn't have to be that way. And what I want people to understand is we, there is a way to go back to that point as a baby. You're going to feel it tomorrow. I mean, you got a little taste of it today, but you're really going to feel it tomorrow. My job is to help people understand that. Because what if you could just go back to having fun again? I was uh, James Ennis, if you're out there listening to this, the 76ers, Philly player, saw you guys. He's the first athlete to have a full fascial reset, full life reset. And he started playing like a kid again. And that's literally, he's like, he's like slam, he's running it down, he's laughing. He increased his vertical height uh, by four and a half inches. He, and he's, he's, he's trainers and everybody's going, what happened? They keep drug testing him because it's like something's up because this guy's playing like crazy. I think he's an ex Kobe Bryant. But the reason why is because he's playing like a kid again. So why don't we lose that kid night like innocence? And that's part of what I want people to understand is I'm coming back to it because I got so serious in this world that I forgot that it, we're here to enjoy stuff. Yeah. If you're not enjoying life, what are you doing? Yeah. Awesome. Okay couple more just to wrap up. Tell me, you know, we, we, you know, heard a little bit about your um, spiritual belief. You, you um, meant, you told me you were married in a Kabbalah center. What, what does spirituality mean to you? Where does God, what's the language you use and, and and kind of tell me a little bit about, you know. Well, that's been a, that's been an evolution because, because first I was like, I didn't believe in God because I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. And so, and my grandmother would be like, if you don't believe in God the way I believe in God, you're going to hell, son. And uh, I didn't think hell was a good place because I, I heard the rumors. <laughs> and so I had this really disconnection with religion, anything that would do with religion. And then through various areas of my life, I kind of got dragged back in in different areas. And it was usually around somebody else or understanding somebody else. So my wife practiced Kabbalah for 14 years. So I, I out of respect, I went to the Kabbalah Center, practiced with her and and it's not my beliefs. I mean, I love Kabbalah and what it stands for, but spirituality is a funny thing. Spirituality is very personal and it's your connection to your creator. And I sanitize the word God my entire life. And even in, in, in LA, it's the universe, love, peace. It's the network. It's, it's the field. It's the void. It's the whatever it is other than God. So I'm really confident to say that my relationship with God has changed a lot. Because um, I used to think this guy was, um, how do you say it? Yeah, you know, kind of an asshole. I said, how could I be in pain for so long? Mm-hmm. How could there be so much pain out there if this God was good? You know, and, and I'm like, you know, and this has been a 50-year journey, and I'm like, I'm just so angry. That's why I didn't want to use his name, but I knew there's something else. I, I just didn't want to call him God. Mm-hmm. So interesting enough, then when I, when I had my own fascial reset, my own reset of my emotions and my understanding points, I had this moment of clarity, which was, well, what if I just drew this as an analogy? What if God was a teacher? And the teacher was, he was such a good teacher that he wouldn't do the work for us, but he let us pass the test. He does rewrite test over and over again, even if it was 10,000 times until we got it right. Mm. 
wouldn't that be the most caring and compassionate person in the world? And so I recontextualized my relationship with God because God had got made nasty by the churches and the religion and everything I'd experienced and everything I saw in the world. But just because they made him nasty doesn't mean I can't respect him for who he is or what he is or who I am. We're just extensions of that. We're just consciousness expressing itself and viewing itself. And how could God know how great he is if he didn't have us to reflect? Mm -hmm. We're just part of a cycle, you know, and as we start to become more connected to our planet and back to this, and this is why, Brett, this is why you and I are together and developing this relationship. You don't know it yet, but, but what if you were going into a community and in that community, everybody had values of, of, of love and peace. And I don't mean in the hippie way. I mean, they really, really were conscious and they didn't fear and they were supportive and they ate well and they take care of each other and they supported each other's activities. And what if they weren't divided by all those racial lines and stuff like that? What would the building look like that housed those people? What would the facility look like? And I know that's what's in the back of your head. That's what you've been doing. So when I've been working on the people to get them ready and you've been working on ways to house them because people still have a, have a place to live. But think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think we're, we're definitely in sync and that's probably a, a, a full conversation by itself. Sure it um, but there's no question about it. That is the goal. The goal is to elevate humanity and mm-hmm. to meet people where they are. You know, I, I like to... Um, I've kind of attached to the the quote that you can't be in the light and put other people in darkness. That it's the separation that's that's you know wrong and and where we need to really focus. And yeah. so, I, I or lo- even or even the judgment, right? Yeah, because the separation, and the judgment is yeah. is part of the separation. That is that is the yeah. same thing. I was, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, for me, you know, I started out not in this space. And used all of my life experiences, just like you have, to arrive here to be able to now do this work. And I want to be able to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. You know that we need to not see separation and see all of humanity as one. And that's my belief system. My spirituality is that we are all one, and how we can come together and help each other is really why I'm here. And so, and it's really moving to hear your journey with spirituality in particular, because I can sense the emotion and the realness, the vulnerability about your um, anger, your sadness, your disappointment with God, universe, the energy, whatever you were calling it, whatever you were experiencing to be, that's real. That was real. And, you know, and I think that that's you're not alone in that, and oh, that's yeah, a very for important sure. yeah, you know for sure. thing for people to be hearing because you've also now yeah. been able to reframe it and really um, see it differently, and then consequently live differently. So, so how do um, I shut down a practice and have the courage? Is just reframe the situation. Yeah, and and so there you go. So like, it, you're you're learning that is really your uh, free will, your power to reframe. Right anywhere and create. So let me tell you something really interesting about the human experience. Every emotion that you have, first of all, emotion precedes motion. There's not a motion on the planet earth that is not preceded by a desire to do something. So every emotion that you have and it presents itself in your body in a dual fashion. So anger, and love are the same chemical release in your body. Same thing with anxiety and excitement, joy, sadness. And that's why we cry when we're happy. So let's talk about free will. Every single time I have an action imposed on my body, I have a reaction which includes an emotion. And I get to choose anxiety or excitement. That's where free will starts. Mm -hmm. And the choice right now is being, is being predicated by the dominant state of the brain, which is, without getting too scientific here, you're either cortisol dominant, stressed out, or you're DHA dominant, rest and relax. If you're cortisol dominant, you feel anxiety. If you're rest and relax, you feel excitement. And here's a key, key point. 
we are being attacked constantly in 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 a hundred different ways, and this is this is where we're at. Maslow's hierarchies and needs. Uh, you have to first be able to have food before you can think about shelter. But then you need shelter before you can think about what's next. Food for the body is the understanding how the body works and how it really how it, how it just fits. It's not actually food. Shelter is physically shelter. So if you could understand your body and you could understand where you could actually have shelter without fear, then where would consciousness go? That's why we're together here. Mm. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I think that's right. And it's, uh, it's, as I said, it's a real joy to have you here. And It's fun being here. Yeah. I uh, can't wait to hear more about that and to continue this conversation. Anything that you want to share with our listeners, anything we didn't connect on that's important, I, tell everybody where they can find you, but yeah. anything else you want to make sure you Actually, you it's funny because, I mean, we're still going to keep Human Garage. Uh, we're just going to be traveling uh, the world right now, literally going city by city, country by country with a small team of people, resetting people at a very high level. And it's not about their prestige or anything like that. It's because the people we work with influence tens of thousands or millions of people. So if, they, if we reset them and they make different free will decisions, then they, they reset other people. It's just a, it's a cause and effect thing. So that's what we're doing is we're going to be traveling around. Uh, you'll find us on Human Garage. I'm not even sure if we're going to keep social media because that's also a, a really big distraction to, to honestly to just being human. And, and I'm also starting to move away from my cell phone again. So dumping my cell phone. I just, and I know that sounds kind of hippie and granola, but the thing is, is that the message that we have will be out there. Uh, you'll be able to find us through either myself, my name, my wife's name, or the human garage itself. And I don't know where this goes. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I woke up coming, getting ready to come here and I was actually had to tell myself that the feeling was excitement, not anxiety, because I'm so used to the anxiety part of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. I don't know where it all goes. Yeah. Well, well, that alone, I think, is a great place for us to stop. The idea of choosing excitement over anxiety. Uh, anxiety is something we all live with. And I don't think everybody is talking about, certainly not in the business community, um, adults, people of my generation and yours are, are, are a little more reluctant to openly share mm -hmm. that anxiety is there and that there is another choice mm -hmm. uh, and choosing uh, not to get addicted to some of the things that you and I have both done over the years, right? <laughs> you know, going to the, to the drinks and to the you drugs, know, medications drinks. and, you know, the drugs and the, and the distractions stress, anxiety, and even the work. Work. It, the work is probably the you know, anger. Sure. The jealousy. Yep. Those are all addictions. Yes. And uh yes, I've I've had them all <laughs> and I know them well. And and um yeah, the the peace and excitement um is there for us to choose. And so I really, really appreciate you sharing that. And um and I will know where to find you. So yeah. um find me and, and I'll and I'll uh make sure you, you, you all find Gary and I have no doubt that you will be found and that the work will make its way to the people as it has and um will continue to exactly at the right time. So um, so Brett, yeah. I just gotta say yeah. I said a lot, but I know a lot of people that are in your position. You're a special man, you're doing something fantastic. You're moving the thought of, of the security of a home and an environment in which you live in, which is the people live in, into a new era. You, thank you for doing what you're doing. This is where the change happens. It happens right here around these tables. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate you saying that. And you know, part of the reason we're doing this podcast is we were talking a little bit before we get on the air is that you know, I believe it's more than just a physical space um, that we're here to share with people. It's your story. It's other people's stories, their journeys that we can reach uh, a larger audience. Uh, not everybody is going to move to Columbus, Ohio, to Franklinton, to um, live in one of these communities, work in one of these communities, but there's events and there's programs and there's stories. And we want to try to connect to people as far as wide as we can. And like you, um, really make a difference in people's lives. So 
uh, it's a it's an honor to have you here to be on this journey with you. And um, there's a part two that we're going to do here also. I'm sure. So, I'm um, sure. <laughs> we're going to uh, hopefully have a chance to talk to Anella here soon and hear her journey and her story in the uh, part two of, of Human Garage. So thank um, you again. Thanks, Gary. I okay. appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.